Hey, everybody. I am Stephanie Goss, and this is another episode of the Uncharted Podcast. So this week on the podcast, Annie and I are tackling a very simple question that doesn't have such a simple answer. We got an email from a lead veterinarian at a fairly large hospital who was asking, do I have a doctor on my team who is afraid of our patients? This is something that I am really excited to talk through with Andy and with you all because it's something that I've been on both sides of this discussion for. I have gone through having a veterinarian on my team who is nervous or anxious around aggressive patients and I've also been the technician to have some fears of my own. I share that and Andy and I get into it and more on this episode. So let's get into this, shall we? And now, the Uncharted Podcast. And we are back. It's me, Dr. Andy Rourke, and the one and only Stephanie Kitty's Got Claws Goss. <laughs> I like that one. Uh, oh, how, how's one. it going, Andy Rourke? And it is good. Uh, you and I had a big week oh, uh, and a busy week working with a group of about 75 doctors Yes, uh, and talking to them about leadership and uh, managing people and running hospitals. And we worked with them for a couple of consecutive days. Yes. And then we're going to talk with them every two weeks for about the next eight months. Uh, I know. And man. I, this is uncharted next level stuff. I love working with groups like this. Yeah. Boy, we are, uh, we are building communities inside of other organizations and really getting people support and teaching them stuff and having them work on their own issues and challenges together. And it's, man, I, this is, this is the future. This yeah. Is, we're living in the year of 3000. <laughs> It is so much fun. Uh, this is not our first time with this company. Uh, we had another group of doctors like this last year, and that group was uh, pure joy. It was our yeah. first time working with them, and we had so much fun. And I was uh, a little bit nervous about starting this program because I thought last year was so amazing. Like, how can we top that? And I have to say that this new group, uh, they rose to the challenge. These uh, people are amazing. And I am so looking forward to spending uh, the time with them this year. I think you're spot on. Like, this is so fun. It's something totally different for you and I. I love getting into the weeds about um, what what their individual specific challenges are in their practices. This is the kind of stuff that really fills my cup. And so uh, I I am really looking forward to it. It is going to be a fun year. Yeah. One of the analogies that I think about in leadership, and so bear with me here for a second, because it's going to seem really weird. I, you know, I, for a long time, I was a big college sports fan. Mm-hmm. Um, and so uh, football and basketball, especially, I, I love college mm-hmm. football and college basketball. And One of the things that made those sports so exciting for me was that at that level, momentum is a huge factor. Sure. And I think a lot of it is because you're dealing with sort of younger people, uh, but also, you know, they're just, they they care a lot. Mm -hmm. You know, these were Mm -hmm. college athletes. And and so momentum was a huge thing. And so you would see games that would just shift as one team gets excited and gets momentum and the other team feels down and you could see huge upsets because the you know the lower ranked or the lesser experienced team would get 
they would start to win and they would get fired up and the other team would get scared or demoralized and fall off. And I bring that up because that was that was a driving force in college sports. And I always thought it was fascinating. But but you know, Stephanie, I have really come to believe that that phenomena is true in leadership. Sure. And and it is something that I have always. I mean, I again and again and again in my career, I have found it to be absolutely the case. Of if you can generate momentum, if you can make your team feel excited and feel good, they will perform. Mm -hmm. And when they perform, if you add to the momentum, you do the wave by yourself. (laughs) You know, you, you are a one person cheering section and you, and you share positive comments from clients and you celebrate them and you thank them individually and you tell them what winners they are. You can make them believe that they are winners. And then when the next challenge comes, they step up. And I will tell you, like, like this is the power of culture. It, and a lot of people say, oh, culture, culture. And a lot of it is momentum of yeah. we we jumped in and we created a positive experience and we made people feel good. And then more people, we hired more people. And that's the beautiful part is like, you have this culture, you have this positive experience or atmosphere, and then you add more people to it. And those people just get swept up in it. They're like, I guess we're doing this. Right. And um, so often when we have uh, people who are, you know, saying, oh, you know, we're dealing with negativity in our, in our practice and things like that. A lot of times it's because they, and they don't have any momentum. Right. That, that's it is, sure. is is everyone is neutral and you got some negative people. And it's just um, it's starting to roll the boulder on flat ground. And you go, this is all effort. <laughs> but if you can get some wins on the board. Right. If you can show people what is good and what is ahead, if you can get them to believe a little bit then everything is easier. And then you make them believe some more and you show them some more good things and you show them what the practice can be when we get along. And people continue to, they'll continue to improve. And oftentimes you can run the neg- the person who's determined to be negative. They'll just be like, I don't like it here anymore. Right. Like, good, <laughs> good, good. See you later. <laughs> and they'll leave. But anyway, it's, it's, um, I bring that up because of the group that we were working with is we had worked with this other group and it had gone so well. Yeah. And on the first day of bringing in this new group and working with them, it was obvious they had talked to the first group and they right. were like, we're here for this. Right. <laughs> and, and as a result, they threw themselves into it and it was massively successful and much better than we could have ever made it be if you and I had to do all the heavy listing like they came right. as active participants. And and again, I, I use this as a teaching analogy for everybody and everything is get, get a group of people in your practice and get some wins on the board. And it doesn't have to be everybody. If you have a great CSR group, there's nothing wrong with working with the CSRs and doing some stuff with them and getting some wins and making some changes. And then taking what you've done with the CSRs to the other group and saying, we've been doing this up front and we figured a lot of things out and they're excited about it. And you guys have started to see this working. I'm going to share this with you guys now. And you can sweep people a lot of times up in enthusiasm and get them on board because you've already got momentum. And so anyway, that was just the the lesson that was in my mind of I was thinking, why did this go so well? And it went so well because we'd already won. Right. Uh, uh, We'd already, we'd already won. We'd already, 
already put a lot of points on the board and people had a lot of fun. Yes. And so bringing in new people, they were like, I'm ready to have fun. <laughs> I'm ready to put points on the board. And man, they went to work. And then it's a self-fulfilling prophecy. Yeah. Like that's the thing is they showed up ready to kick butt. And surprise, surprise, they, they kicked, kicked butt. butt. <laughs> and, yeah. And it's it's just like, well, it's, it's confirmation bias. They believed yeah. that it was going to be awesome. And so they acted in a way that would make it awesome. And then it was awesome. Yeah. It uh, I it's so it's so true and and it was it's such a great great example. It's it's gonna be a it's gonna be a good year. It's certainly been a good week. That is for it's sure. Be a good year. Yeah. Uh, everybody's like, uh, where is this going? Uh, yeah. It is not going should, towards the episode. That was it. That was <laughs> a standalone. That was a free. That was a free mini episode We're inside the larger episode. <laughs> We're just telling you guys about our week. It's uh, like it's like when you it's like when you watch a Pixar movie and they have the the cartoon at the beginning that's yeah. like four minutes long. Yeah. It's not connected to the other thing. It's like the squirrel chasing the acorn through the Arctic. That's what you just got right there. <laughs> I can already uh, I can already see Dustin, our editor, coming up with ideas for how he's going to attach a cartoon to this. <laughs> yeah. I see Dustin, our editor, going, uh, I know seven minutes that I can cut right now. <laughs> okay, writing it in. All right, All right. here we go. Let's, uh, here we go. Back on, back we on track. Have, <laughs> we have got a good one for everyone this week. I think I'm I'm excited about this. We got a mailbag question that was uh, a little bit different than the ones we normally got. And at first I thought, I don't know if, uh, if our podcast is uh, the right place to talk about this. And I, I honestly thought maybe this is a good one for the Cone of Shame podcast. But the more I thought about it, I thought, you know, no, this is, I'm interested in this. I certainly yeah. have seen this. So I'm excited to talk about it. Uh, so our mailbag questions that I'm, I'm the lead veterinarian at a fairly large hospital. I have one doctor on the team that I'm consistently receiving complaints from staff and clients in regards to how this doctor is dealing with animals. Um, they basically seem scared to death of them if they look at uh, the doctor wrong. They are an amazing, intelligent doctor. And so our lead vet is struggling with how do I deal with this? Uh, this doctor has been through fear-free training. They um, So specifics that they gave us generally when they're talking to owners about their concerns regarding their pets. Uh, they're using words like extremely aggressive uh, and they are making the technicians kind of manhandle them and definitely not use their fear-free or low-stress handling techniques because it makes them feel more comfortable, I'm assuming. Um, mm -hmm. This doctor usually is not the one helping or assisting with any of the treatments. And so our lead vet says, I find myself sometimes watching in horror or I end up just jumping in and assisting the technicians and assistants myself to to get things done. Um, is there some guidance for this situation? Should I be telling my team to avoid scheduling known, uh, you know, anxious, uh, worried, fearful, aggressive animals with this doctor? And I thought this was such a good one. It's a great one. Yeah, yeah. I love this question. And this is this is real life. Yeah. Um, it's I, I guess I see this behavior. But the beautiful thing I really love about this is you can take fear of pets and replace it with any unacceptable behavior sure. that comes from a um, from a place of fear and insecurity. Yes. And yeah, so sure. I, I just the steps that we're going to use here, I, I and this is what I, I the point that I really want to make in this whole podcast, and I'll make it right now, right <laughs> up front. <laughs> is me. yeah. 
we're going to approach this in a very logical, strategic, matter-of-fact, behavioral change way. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't really matter what the behavior is. Uh, and that's what I kind of want to lay, lay down. And so when we say, is this is this an uncharted podcast? Because this is a weird, is, is this, this is more animal handling. I'm like, no, it's not. It's it's a it's a behavior change. Mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. It's a doctor is exhibiting a behavior that the staff and clients are complaining about, and we need to address that behavior. And so I think this is going to be a really useful podcast, even though at first blush it may sound kind of niche. I don't. First of all, I think it's much more common than people think it is. I'm actually I would be really curious to hear from the audience. Like, yeah. Do you see this in your practice? Because I've seen it a number of times. And uh, and so, first of all, I wonder how common it is. And, and part two is, this is a coaching behavioral change podcast. And um, and man, this is the Swiss Army knife of podcasts. It's so funny because, uh, as usual, uh, you and I are thinking the same way. Sometimes it's scary how mm. much in each other's heads we can be. Uh, because I had the same thoughts. Like, when I was thinking about, okay, what what is this? Well, really, at the end of the day, like, we have to do our jobs. And taking mm -hmm. care of animals is part of our job. And yeah. there are different ways that we can approach that and different things that we can try um, in terms of coaching behavior and changing behavior, like you mentioned, but um, our jobs involve animals who we know mm -hmm. aren't always calm and gentle and um, comfortable with us. And fear is a powerful, is a powerful thing. And on both sides, on the animal side and, and on our side. And so for me, it was like, look, we have to, we know that fear could get us hurt when we're working with our patients if they sense it. And we also know that lack of respect or caution on our part can get our team hurt. And so there's concern on both sides. So we got to find the middle ground because this person is a veterinarian and we have to help them do their job. And uh, so, so I, I thought very much the same way. So I'm, I'm excited to talk about this. And I agree with you. I, when I read it, I, the reason I was interested in it was because I, I, went through this with one of my veterinarians at, at my practice. And and it is hard because I will tell you, I felt stumped at first as, as a manager, like, um, this is kind of our job. Like, what do you, what do you, what do you mean you're afraid? Uh, you know, and, and just like, I was at a loss for how, how do I approach this? So I, I think this one's going to be fun. So should we start with, uh, with our headspace as we do? Yeah, sure. Always. Um, yeah, always. All right. So uh, first, let's just let's just get real basic headspace. Start with empathy. Yeah. Start with compassion. Start yeah. with kindness. Um, getting angry at someone who is afraid or who is frustrated or is anxious. That is counterproductive. You know, mm -hmm. um, yeah, this is getting frustrated with this person is not going to be helpful. And if you are frustrated, which you could be because you got multiple, you're getting yes. complaints from the staff and, and now a client's complaining and you have to call them. It'd be really easy to be like, this has to stop and you need to suck it up and you need to do your job. And that is a human emotion to feel. Mm -hmm. That is, uh, yeah, that's very understandable. Do not communicate that, please. Just yeah. take that home and sit with it and try to breathe through it and empathize and say, this is a good person and they are struggling like we all struggle with with certain things about yes. practice and our professional. None of us are perfect. We're all flawed human beings, and so they're struggling with a thing. And uh, and and I just want to try to be forgiving of that because I also have things that I struggle with. Everybody's got their thing. Uh, the other thing is to seek first to understand. Uh, 
it's easy to make assumptions about why people behave the way that they do. And one, I want to validate that that assumption is is correct. Is this person really, um, are they making assumptions about pets that aren't true? You know what I mean? Are Mm -hmm. they really afraid Mm -hmm. of pets that they should not be afraid of? Or... um, are are they uh, are they actually seeing things and they just disagree? We've all had pet owners who were like, "How dare you muzzle my dog?" Right, and their dog is literally lunging right. and snapping at right. people. And you look, you're you, you got to be kidding me! I know you think Fluffy is wonderful. I'm looking at bare teeth, and I do this all day, every day, and I'm not risking my face or yes. my hands or my technician's personal safety. So that you get to keep telling yourself your dog doesn't need a muzzle. Like, I'm not going right. to do it. Right. And so, uh, you know, th- there's there's balance here. Let's let's go, okay, well, what is real? And the other thing is, in Seek First to Understand, man, there are people who have had real experiences that if you had them, it would change the way that you think, yes. you know? Um, yes. You know, I, I mean, I you and I both know a RVT who got bitten by a cat in her job. And then she had anaphylactic reaction to the antibiotics that she got to treat it. And ultimately, she ended up not being able to work on the floor anymore. It was career ending for her. And she works in a different part of that medicine now. But that was it for her. And you go, man, you know, that sits in the back of my mind sometimes of, you know, hey, you never know what's going to happen. And so getting getting bitten is not a thing to blow off. I mean, I I have friends with permanent nerve damage in hands from dog bites or cat bites. I have friends with facial scars. I I have a friend who was, uh, I think it was a cat, uh, a cat bitter right on the lip. This is recently. And she's a good plastic surgeon. Yes. And get put This is not uh, something to blow off. So, so again, let's put that in our minds and be like, hey, empathy, seek first to understand what's going on, what's driving this person. What are are their actual concerns? And and let's start to, to dig into this. If you think this person just won't, they're not doing their job. That is a blunt statement that is not productive in that I can't work with that. That doesn't give me any nuance, any room for collaboration, any room to to work with the person on their behaviors. There's no, I don't know where to begin training on that. I don't know how to address their concerns because I don't know what their real concerns are. That is a dead end mindset. And so get curious and get empathetic. And, and have this conversation because you want to help this person. And so that's that's my opening headspace position. Yeah, I, I, um, I was thinking very much the same in terms of um, the have empathy. For me, it was also about um, uh, assuming good intent. And and really, when you said um, have empathy, like I, I agree with that. And on the more than make sure that you're controlling your response outwardly i think it's about asking yourself some questions of like um you know c- could you could you understand where this could be a concern mm-hmm. because a lot of times it's not that you're outwardly going oh my god this person is awful and i didn't get that i didn't get that sense here at all from our our mailbag writer um i you know i got the sense that they were just like i I kind of don't know how to relate to this, so I don't know what to do with it, which I imagine is uh, the case for for a lot of people. And so for mm-hmm. me, it's about like this person. I don't I don't I truly believe no one becomes a veterinarian if they don't love animals. You know, there that is that mm-hmm. is 
I, I, I don't know how you could um, to, to some degree. And so for me, it's about assuming good intent. Like this person is clearly here for a reason because they want to be. And so my job as the, as the leader is to ask different questions. And so for me, the headspace is about have, I agree hundred percent having, having empathy and leaning into, okay, what, what, um, what could be some reasons why this person could be a, afraid or concerned or worried about the behavior. I totally, to your point, I totally understand that. And I, I will say that, that this episode um, is is hard for me because I've been there on both sides. Like I've been the manager who has worked with a doctor who genuinely was afraid of a certain type of um, patient and had to work yeah. through that. And I've also been the the technician and I'm going to out myself here. I've been the technician very early in my career, uh, taking x-rays with another very competent, qualified technician with a canine patient. It was a really sweet old golden retriever. Um, mm-hmm. We had it on its back on the x-ray table and our x-ray, it was when we had film x-ray. So the x-ray room is totally dark. And uh, my other technician screams and I flip on the lights and their whole face and neck is bleeding because the dog got painful and snapped her, snapped her right in the face. And it scared the hell out of me. And I will tell you that I was then the technician where for a really long period of time, I was I would I would not want to work with golden patients without a muzzle on because yeah. I was it caught me so by surprise because yes. we think this isn't, you know, generally they're so sweet and happy, right? And this patient had been no exception to that. Super, super sweet. But it was just one of those fluke things. But it it evoked a response in me that was something that I couldn't control. And yeah. I remember having other other technicians and other teammates be like, Are you kidding me? Like, I'm not gonna put a muzzle on this patient. It's totally fine. But it it made me very, very nervous because of something that I had experienced. And so a lot of what we're going to talk about, you know, I was thinking like, I I could put myself in someone's shoes. I could understand where they could be nervous or worried because maybe they have had an experience. And so for me, it's about how do we how do we think about how putting ourselves in somebody else's shoes? And so we get to the action points. One of the things is you got to have a conversation about did something happen? Have they had that experience? Because let me tell you, when I would share with other technicians, particularly when I left that practice or we had people come in who weren't there when it happened and and I shared that experience, there was an immediate empathetic response of, oh my gosh, I totally understand that. And we could work together to find middle ground. But until that information was shared, it would I had other people judging me. And they were just yeah. like, why? You're such a like you're such a bad technician. You're such a bad restrainer that you couldn't work with a golden retriever without putting a muzzle on it. And that wasn't the case at all. <laughs> But, you know, it it was it was a hard thing to go through. And mm-hmm. so I think when we when we talk about finding the empathy, I think it's really important in terms of starting at the beginning and asking, you know, what happened. And so yeah. that really is an action step here. But I think your your point about empathy is spot on there. Well, I think you, I think you take me to the second point that I want to make, too, which is um, when when we start to have this this conversation, uh, commonality is key, yeah. right? I, I don't want this person to feel like they're a freak in yeah. vet medicine. I know it's yep. a strong word, but that's how I don't want them to feel. Yep. I don't want them to feel like, oh, you're the weirdo who's afraid of pets. I, I think I think that your experience is not uncommon. Yep. And I think it's also, you know, you imagine how the team looked at that and they're like, Stephanie's putting muzzles on all the golden retrievers. <laughs> this is bonkers. Um, but when you tell that story, I, go, story. I, I understand how that would affect you, yeah. and, to, and, you know, and, and have this. And I think, again, 
again, I think it's part of the human experience. I, I will share for myself, you know, I've never been super comfortable with horses. Yep. Um, I, I'm not, you know, I don't run screaming from the paddock, but I just, I didn't grow up with horses. I didn't you do, I, ne I never planned to practice on horses. I, right. you know, I was like, hey, vet school, I'll sign a waiver <laughs> that says I'm not going to touch a horse. And then you just let me go do more small animal courses and I'll be pumped. And they did not go for it. Um, but they were it. like, no, actually, you get the first rotation. Here you go. Oh, totally. But but I had these thoughts, too, because when I, I took a job uh, years ago and they were like, hey, we we take call because we're a mixed we have a mixed animal component. And I'm like and they're like, you won't see. Uh, you know, horses are, are, are mixed animal stuff during the day. But if you have to take call, you're going to have to go see that stuff. And I thought, man, I again, I would have to I have to brush up on it. It's just not something that I'm comfortable with. And I know the clients would have noticed that. And so I right. just said, you know, this is not the right. You thing. need to know that this is not not in my repertoire. and It's not something I'm, I'm going to be comfortable doing. Yeah. But anyway, I put that forward because having these conversations, this goes back to empathy is can you think of a time when something happened to you or an experience when you were yeah. uncomfortable, that's going to help you get into a good headspace to talk to this person. And even if you've never felt that way, just the stories I told earlier of my friend having permanent nerve damage or yeah. my other friend having an anaphylactic reaction to the antibiotics from a cat bite and then having it in her career uh, on the floor. Those, those things are good to get in your head. So again, just empathize, seek to understand, look for commonality, because that's how we're going to connect to this person yeah. and make them not feel judged and outcast. And because when I come to them and say, hey, we need to talk about something and I, I want to hear where you're coming from. I need to understand what's going on. Uh, you know, and I, I, I get it. And, and I can I can see that. And, and I'm not I'm not dismissing you as um you're doing something that's ridiculous. I can't abide by. I think you and I right. need to get into a spot of this is human behavior. Uh, and and I'm, I'm curious as to where it came from and, and why you feel this way. The other thing I think that we need to figure out is, is why is this true? You know, so, so here's the hard thing with this case is that when the staff says the doctor seems afraid of these patients and the, and the clients say the doctor seems afraid of these patients, if I go to the doctor and say, hey, why are you afraid of patients? What are they going to say? I'm not. I'm not afraid of those patients. I'm just being cautious mm -hmm. and keeping people safe. And that's an argument you can't win because right. being afraid of patients is completely subjective. Yes. And you yes. can't do it. And so, um, you know, talking to them in, in, uh, about being afraid, like that's that's a challenging thing, which is why we're going to have to build empathy and trust, yes. because you're not going to be able to prove that they're afraid of patients because only they know right. if they're afraid and they right. may be in denial yes. about it. Yes. Yeah. I think the last thing for Headspace for me, for me um, which which ties directly to then, you know, starting to have that conversation is I think you have to be able to be honest and also be vulnerable yourself. Um, and what I mean by that is if you if you were looking at this other person and you were thinking, I don't understand why you're putting the muzzle on every golden retriever. Mm -hmm. Like you have to be willing to be vulnerable and honest and say something when when it comes to having the conversation, something along the lines of, um, you know, I care about you. And I want to make sure that you feel comfortable here at work. These are some things that I've 
noticed and they seem unique to you. And so I want to understand more. When I say being honest and vulnerable, it means, you know, you can share that you may not understand um, or that there are things that you are worried about in a way that doesn't feel like you are attacking them. Like you, like you said so well, it's like if you say, I, I think the way you're acting makes it seem like you're afraid of animals to the client, they absolutely can and and should as a as a veterinarian who is responsible for protecting their team there should be some part of them that is thinking i want to be safe with all of my patients right and so you can't you can't argue that safety side of it but if you can be honest and you can be vulnerable with them and share even if you don't understand i think that's going to go a long way to helping have the conversations that you need to have in order to unlock this and start to do some problem solving yeah I agree. I, I got a couple other things that are related to that, but let's, I, I'll lay them down when we start talking about action steps. Okay. That sounds good. Should we take a break here and then uh, get into how we, how we tackle this? Yeah. Hey, Stephanie Goss, you got a second to talk about Guardian Vets? Yeah. What do you want to talk about? Man, I, uh, I hear from people all the time that are overwhelmed because the phones never stop ringing. Yes. Um, and I'm sure you, you hear from these people as well. You know, like our caseload is blowing up and the doctors are busy and uh, the phones just don't stop. They never stop. <laughs> that is a true story. I'm amazed by how, uh, how few veterinarians know about Guardian Vets. This is a service where you have uh, registered technicians uh, who can jump in virtually and help you on the phones. You can flip the switch and uh, Guardian Vets can jump in and take some of the load off the front desk and they can handle your clients and get them booked for your appointments and give them support. And it really is a godsend. Pre-pandemic, it was amazing to me how many people hadn't heard about it for after hours call help. But at this point, I can't believe how many people don't realize that they are offering help during the daytime as well, which I would think right now is a huge benefit to practices because everybody is shorthanded. Everybody is drowning in phone calls. And so we talk about it. We've talked about Guardian Vets a lot on the podcast. And every time we do, we always get somebody who says, what is that? <laughs> Guys, if you're not familiar with Guardian Vets, if you think that you could use some help on the uh, on the phones or up the front desk, check them out. It's guardianvets.com. And uh, if you mention our podcast, me and Stephanie Goss, uh, you get a month free. So check it out, guardianvets.com. Hey, everybody, it's Stephanie. And I'm jumping in here for one quick second to let you know about an update that has happened in our upcoming workshop schedule. So we have been talking for a couple weeks on the podcast now about how this uh, coming up on Saturday, May 21st from 2 to 4 p.m. Eastern, 11 to 1 p.m. Pacific time, we are going to have a workshop being run by our friend, Dr. Tracy Sands. And uh, there have been some changes to the schedule and Dr. Sands is not going to be able to lead that workshop. So I am uh, jumping up, stepping up to the plate, so to speak, to pinch hit for Dr. Sands. And we are going to be talking about the languages of appreciation. And I am super excited about this. This is something that I really enjoy. And really, I want to nerd out with you guys about what are the challenges when it comes to incorporating appreciation in your practices? What are the things that your team loves? How can we do more of those? And really brainstorm some ideas together as a group and work together to come up with a plan for how do we make languages of appreciation and the core concept of them a part of our cultures and everyday practice. So if this sounds like something that you want to hop in on, there is still time for you to sign up. If you head over to the website at unchartedvet.com forward slash events, you can find the sign up link and I would love to see you there. 
As always, this is free for our Uncharted members and it is $99 if you're not currently a member. So hopefully I will see you soon. And now back to the podcast. All right. Well, let's talk about how we start to, to tackle this and have this conversation. Okay. Let's do it. Yep. Perfect. Um, and no, to no one's surprise, uh, the, the first thing that I'm going to, to talk about is expectations and, um, and clear communication. Yeah. And that goes back to what we talked about before about, I don't want to pull a doctor in and say, hey, you're afraid of pets. That's not the conversation that I want to have because I can't prove it and it's unspecific and it leads immediately to debate about fear. Right. Uh, and, and a lot of people, um, a lot of people were raised, a lot of people were raised with the mindset that being afraid is to be cowardly. You know what right. I mean? Like there are societal or cultural stereotypes and norms around fear. Mm-hmm. And like I grew up in rural North Carolina. And if you called me afraid when I was 15, 14, mm-hmm. 12 years old, mm-hmm. I would negatively react to that. Sure. Um, even if it was true, I would 100% tell you it wasn't. And that, that's that's a, that's a cultural thing. And so every, everybody's different with that. Talking about being afraid of pets is an unproductive conversation. Yeah. Period. Full yep. stop. And so the first thing we laid on action steps is speak in specifics. Yes. What are clients complaining about? What is the staff concerned about? So in the example you gave about the golden retriever, it's not about Stephanie's afraid of golden retrievers. It's Stephanie muzzles every golden retriever patient that comes in and the rest of the staff, and I'm not going to say they hate it or they are upset about it. I'm going to say they don't understand mm-hmm. And I feel like that is true yeah. and that is not judgmental and it's, sure. this is not a disciplinary conversation. But hey, I have heard from a number of people that um, that you muzzle every golden retriever that comes in and, and some people don't understand and they're, they're trying to process that and they worry about the stress that the muzzle causes. Mm-hmm. And so let me ask you about that. Do you, does that ring true in your ears or, or do you think that that's a valid thought that other people are putting forward. Mm-hmm. And that is how I'm going to open this up very softly, very broadly. But I'm not going to talk to you about being afraid. I'm going to talk to you about the behavior. Hey, um, and you see this a lot. A lot of people who are afraid of cats yes. are cat scruffers. Yes. They handle cats aggressively. They grab the cats, yes. things like that. And people who are cat people do not like that. And rightfully so. Yeah. And what happens, what I hear a lot is this person doesn't care about low stress handling. They don't like cats. They hate cats. They're, they're mean to cats. They're, you know, they're untrained. The truth is they're afraid. Right. And that is a vulnerable thought to have is mm-hmm. I'm I'm doing this because I'm afraid of cats and mm-hmm. I need to work through this. Mm-hmm. But that is true. And that's the conversation to have is not, hey, you're manhandling cats. You're being rough with cats. It's, hey, people don't understand mm-hmm. the level of control that you're taking. Help me understand what your process is and what your thought process is when you deal with these, when, when you deal with these patients. Yep. And I'm just trying to get into your head. Is it a lack of knowledge? Because a lot of people like, clearly this person hasn't been trained. And I go, I bet they have been trained. I, be, I But I bet that they're afraid and they're not messing around. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's, at some point, we have we we do have to deal with that and we're going to come back around to what that looks mm-hmm. like in a bit yeah no i i agree i i have been thinking like you have to not only do you have to be specific but also i think it's really important to have it be recent um examples mm-hmm. because nothing when it comes to feedback nothing 
uh, puts people more immediately on the defense than giving them an example that happened far in the past. Right. Mm, It is one thing if you say, hey, you know, I got a call from Mrs. Jones, who was here on Monday, and she said this was how you reacted in the room. Um, Can you tell me can you tell me more about what was going on? Because I really want to understand. Right. That feels radically different than saying, well, over the last six months, I've gotten 15 complaints from clients about, uh, you know, the way that you've acted with their patients in the in the room. And so, you know, let's let's talk about you know, Fluffy, I understand she was here, you know, three months ago and, and, but this owner was particularly upset. So let's talk about that. Right. And I think, I think as a, as a manager, um, our logic brain can immediately go to, let's take a really clear, uh, and by clear, our brains often, uh, interpret that as the most severe of the examples, right? And that isn't necessarily, I think, the best tack to take here. I think it's really important to have a really concrete example to be able to share with them, um, especially concrete examples of the kind of feedback that you're getting from the team. And you gave some really beautiful ones of how you can transform the words that you may be given from the team or from a client into something that is softer and less aggressive in terms of talking about it with the other person, but it's got to be specific. And, and for me, I agree with you. It just starts with, you know, tell me, tell me more about what was going on. Like you're, you're seeking to understand. You don't want to put them on the defensive. You just, you just want to know because you, the, the ideal situation, regardless for you as the leader is for them to open up and tell you something you know, mm-hmm. tell you, tell you about their experience as a, as a baby technician with the, with the golden retriever, tell you about uh, an incident that they had with, with a cat uh, that really scared them. Like that's the goal is to get them talking. And so you've got to use vocabulary and um, word choices that are going to help support that. Yeah. The other significant Jedi trick that I use in these cases, and that's why I said, this is any sort of a behavioral change, but anything that comes back from the staff or it comes back from uh, the clients and you didn't see it and you don't know what happens. Mm-hmm. Uh, one, of the, one of the approaches that I have used many, many times and I find it very successful is to not argue about what happened because I wasn't there. Right. But I am going to talk to you about the perception of those who were there. Sure. And so I'm not saying you're afraid. I'm saying that there clearly is a perception among the clients, the client who called me. Yeah. Their perception was that you were afraid. That's what that's what they said. Mm-hmm. I'm not saying that you handle uh, that you handled the cat overly aggressively. I wasn't there. The perception of the staff was that this patient was unnecessarily restrained in a way that caused stress. That was their perception. Now, perception is not reality, but it's what they saw. And and here's the, the reason I bring that up is because if I say to you, Stephanie, you did this bad thing. Um, you're going to feel shame. Mm-hmm. You're going to feel, mm-hmm. um, uh, uh, you know, uh, you don't. I'm going to turn tomato red immediately. It's gonna, you're going to turn tomato <laughs> red. Um, you're going to feel shame. You, you're probably going to feel anger. Uh-huh. Um, you, you may disagree that that's what happened. You're going to feel falsely judged, you yeah. know, all of those things. But if I say to you, Stephanie, the perception, there was a perception that this is what happened. And I wasn't there. So I wasn't tell me there. More. And so. Tell, tell me what you saw and, and what happened. Yep. And, and, and so one, that helps me unlock the conversation. But number two, and this is, um, bear with me, I swear it's true. I, what do I care about? The truth is, 
I can't fix the past, right? right? What happened is, is, is over. What I care about is future behaviors. Mm -hmm. Now, listen, I do not care if you change your behavior because you admit that you were afraid or if you change your behavior because you understand other people have the perception that you're afraid and you want to make sure that you address that perception and you're going to behave differently to address that perception. Mm -hmm. I don't care. Mm -hmm. But addressing the perception of others is much less challenging to my self-image than addressing some significant thing about myself. Yes. And so I have just found again and again and again that it's easier to talk about perception than it is to talk about, uh, Andy, you're afraid of this and you stop. Andy, you, you lose your temper and get angry. And I go, no, I don't. And now I'm talking about <laughs> now I'm talking about who I am as a person. And right. that's scary. Right. But if you said to me, Andy, the staff has a perception that you have a short fuse, I can say, well, why do they think that? And they'll say, well, you know, have these instances where, where you raise your voice and because you're six foot three and what well, I'm not six foot three, but because <laughs> because you're six foot three and you raise your voice, it's very intimidating. People think that you're very upset. And I go, well, that's not true. And I say, well, it doesn't matter that it's not true. It's the perception that the team has. And so we need to address it. And oftentimes people take that. You, you love the idea that I <laughs> imagine myself as six foot three. In my head, I, I see myself like a chihuahua sees himself. You know what I mean? That's how I view. When I look in the mirror, chihuahua Andy sees Mastiff Andy. I'm like, damn, I'm intimidating. I have to tone it down. Let's get back on track. Okay. The, Ooh, I'll, give, I'll give you this example. Uh, so this is the example of, of perception versus truth in my life, okay? Um, I've told this story before, but, but it's the best example that I have. I remember being a, a parent of young children, and I was working a lot. And my wife was teaching uh, a college course that was like a three-week course where they, they traveled. She had gone to Ecuador with a bunch of students. And so I've got the kids for three weeks Right. Uh -huh. And so I'm busting my hump and I'm working hard and I am full time dad for two little kids. Um, shout out to all the single parents out there. I, yes. You guys are amazing. Um, anyway, and I'm doing it. And so my parents call and they're like, hey, would you like to come up for the weekend? And I thought, yes, <laughs> I would. Yes. And so I take the kids You're up like, there, Help. I hand them to my parents. Yeah. And then I disappear into one of the back rooms with my laptop and just bang out work for like two days. And then the weekend was over and I emerged from the room and I'm like, hey, thanks a lot, guys. See you later. And my dad looked at me and he said to me, hey, son, I'm concerned about the relationship you have with your kids. And I was like, what? And he was like, you were completely absent this whole weekend and we did all these things. And uh, your kids are going to, they're not going to remember having you around. Is this, you know, I just, I'm worried about you. And I want you to think about this. And guys, I have a great relationship with my kids. And I did then too. I was very engaged, dad. I, yeah. I can say that in all honesty. Uh, I love the kids and I spend a lot of time with them. But, and so I went home and that's why I was so bothered by this. It's like, I feel like I'm a really engaged dad. Right. So I called my brother who knows me really well and, and who's around a lot and talks to me all the time. And, and I said, man, dad said this thing to me and it, it really upset me. And he said, well, Andy, you know, you have a perception problem. He said, all that they see is that you show up and disappear. Right. And they don't see the rest of the things. Right. And so you do not have a, I'm a bad dad problem. Right. You have a, 
my parents perceive me as being absent right. problem. And yep. so you need to address that perception that they have. Right. And as a result, when I go up there, I'm fully engaged and I'm involved in this. And I just realized, well, hey, I can't go up there and clock out and do my own thing. I need to be right. engaged because that's this is the picture my parents have of me in my relationship with my kids. And and that has always meant a lot to me because I if you said to me, Andy, you're a bad dad, I would fight with you, like really right. throw down because right. I'm huge and powerful and intimidating. <laughs> Because you're you're mastiff. Okay, got it. I would I would write you a <laughs> passive aggressive letter uh, on on flower stationery. That's what I would. That's that's the real thing that would happen. Um, oh, but I don't want to think that, and I don't want to hear that, and I don't want to believe that. Right. But when my brother says you have a perception problem, I go, I can fix that perception right. problem. That makes sense. And so yeah. I do. And so yeah. I hope that that I know it's a long way to go, but I think this is a really important point when we talk about behaviors that are being reported by the staff and the team is I can say to you, the truth is, I don't know how you feel. And I wasn't there. But I'm going to talk to you about the perception that people have. And you and I are going to work on that perception. And that brings me to the next part of this. There is an excellent opportunity or not to correct this person, right. but to recruit this person. Right. And that unlocks this conversation in yet another way, because people say, well, how do I bring them in and tell them they need to stop being afraid of pets? Or how do I bring them in and tell them they need to do training? You don't. And the answer is, you don't. <laughs> you don't. Here's, here's the beautiful Jedi maneuver, is I'm going to bring them in, and I'm going to say, hey, Stephanie, I got a call from this client that you saw yesterday, and they had this concern, and this is what they said. And I have to tell you, relatedly, I have gotten feedback in the last couple of weeks about an, another patient where the staff felt like this patient was over-restrained, and, and they, they mentioned it to me. And, and I, I just want to talk to you about that. And then I'm going to ultimately, if the person pushes back and say, well, you know, I don't agree that these things are going on, I'm going to say, well, you can agree uh, or, or I don't agree that what I that that the way this was done was out of line. And I'll say, well, you can choose to disagree. The perception of the clients and the staff is right. not favorable. And that needs to be addressed because right. I can't have the staff working with a doctor that they are, are, are worried about. And I, we, it's bad for you and it's bad for me for the right. perception of the staff to be that we're not doing what we're supposed to do. And so let's you and me circle up and let's figure out how we're going to control this perception mm -hmm. and what needs to happen. Mm -hmm. And I'm happy to invest in you. I am yes. happy to, you know, we can do team training and focus on this if that will help make them more comfortable, if that will make you more comfortable. But again, and here's the other thing. I can't propose action steps until I know why this behavior is happening. Yes. Because like to Stephanie's point, if if you're worried because you saw this thing happen and I'm like, let's get you more fear free training. And that's not going to fix the fact no. that you saw had this experience. Yes. <laughs> uh, we, we're going to need to work through that in a different way. But the 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 big last sort of point I want to hit on here is I don't have to fix this problem directly, like meaning it's not on me to fix you because I don't know how to do that. When feedback comes from the clients, one of the easiest things to do is to say to the doctor, the perception of the client was X. Mm -hmm. And we need to figure out how to control that perception mm -hmm. in the future. Mm -hmm. What can we do to make sure that clients do not feel this way? And often we can fix the problem 
uh, by saying, oh, no, no, it's not about you. It's about other people mm-hmm. and their perception of this. Mm-hmm. And we need to fix it because we can't have this in the building. Mm-hmm. Great. As long as the behavior gets fixed, I don't care well, how it's presented. And I think the nice part about looking at it from the perception perspective is that it becomes easier it becomes easier for the person receiving the feedback to put on their empathy hat. Because if you told me, Stephanie, you know, the perception of Mrs. Jones was that, you know, you were manhandling her patient and we have to like, I I don't, it does, I, I know you, I, do, I don't think that that was the case, but that was her perception. And so we have to figure yeah. out how do we, how do we, uh how do we address it in the future so that she doesn't, Uh, you know, feel that concern or that other people don't feel that concern, I would immediately, much more easily, immediately, immediately be able to lean into having empathy because I, as a person who cares about animals, but also who cares about my clients, I wouldn't want clients thinking that I manhandled their their pets. Exactly. Right. So it, uh, Mm -hmm. it, it unlocks the empathy. You're approaching it from an empathetic perspective as a leader, but it also allows the ability to unlock some of those emotions to, for the doctor to be able to put themselves in the client's shoes or the staff's shoes and unlock their own empathy in a way that doesn't feel like I'm in trouble because I did this thing and we're talking about why I did the thing. The why, the why doesn't matter. And so yeah. I, I think that's that's spot on, and 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 I love it. Well, it's it's just flipping it around from a place where you're like um, arguing with the person about what happened because I wasn't there. Right. But it's not an argument for me to tell you this is how people perceived what happened. Yep. Like that's that statement of fact that yep. can't be argued with. Um, yeah, you know, I I wasn't there. I don't know if it was inappropriate restraint or not. The perception was that it was beyond what was necessary, and that's the second uh, type of complaint. That's the second complaint in that vein that I've gotten in in a short period of time. And we need to figure out how to fix this perception, lest it become your reputation and something that right. we have to deal with. Yeah. Right. So so those are those are I think are the big are the big ways that I would have this conversation. Okay. And so then people go, okay, well, that's great. And I understand how you explain it. What do you actually do? And what do you do if this doesn't work? And so, you know, the big point that I want to make here, when we talk about moving into action steps, um, you know, I I think a lot of us have a tendency, myself included, to to think very black and white. Um, I I can let this person go, or I can demand that they fix this, uh, and fix it full stop, right. continue. And if they don't fix it, then they're going to get, then I'm going to have to let them go. <laughs> um, and, and people freak out and they're like, what am I going to do? It's like, okay, right. the first thing to try to do with this is try to partner with the person. Hey, what are we going to do? How are we going to move forward? What's the underlying cause? How do we address it? Cause that's going to, that's going to inform us in what we're going to do. Okay. Now I feel much better emotionally when I can just look at things pragmatically. And so here's the truth. If this person is afraid of the pets to the point that they're not able to do their job, I have a couple of options. Okay. Let's say that they are not able to change their behavior. Um, It may be possible for me to compromise. Mm -hmm. Maybe Stephanie Goss doesn't see golden retrievers Mm -hmm. and people go, oh my God. I'm like, look, does anybody care? (laughs) 
that Stephanie doesn't see Golden Troop. Now, if it's Stephanie Goss doesn't see Fractious Cats and she's one of two paraprofessionals that we have, that's that's different. Right. Yes. But if we have a lot, you know, texts yeah. that are very comfortable, maybe Stephanie doesn't see cats, you know, mm-hmm. that, and that's just what it is. And if you can staff for that and it doesn't feel like favoritism to the rest of the team, it feels like, hey, this is... Um, Yep. This is a reasonable thing, and and it's uh, and we're okay to to have stuff just see just be our dog tech or a dog tech. Then go go with it. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? It, don't don't overthink it. Not everything has to be set in stone. Let's let's try to be flexible here. But can we can we compromise? Well, and you know? I think it also doesn't have to be huge. And I think our minds immediately right. go to like these big grand sweeping things that we have to yes. change, and that's not not necessarily the case. So in my case, um, it was. It was there were other pieces to it, too. And I I think that um, we'll talk about these in a second. But um, the the compromise with the team was I didn't feel comfortable being the doer in front of those patients anymore because I had watched I I had been Mm -hmm. holding and someone had had gotten hurt. Um, But but the early compromise was could I try being the holder and just doing things that where we weren't going to hurt, you know, potentially invoke a reaction from a patient. And so it was like baby steps. Right. Or or for a while, I didn't touch the golden retriever patients. And I worked in a hospital where we had there was six or seven of us. And so it was really easy to say, hey, I'm going to I'm going to take your your cat over here and I'm going to hold it instead. Mm-hmm. And we're going to swap out. Right. And I think a lot of the times we think about, well, that means that you can't um, you know, you can't be on the floor, you can't do your job. And yeah. we think in these grand uh, sweeping things, and that doesn't necessarily have to be the case, you know, if you have somebody, because the reality is, we can't go through our careers unscathed. All of us right. are going to have a really difficult case, a really hard, uh, you know, situation with a patient or with a client. We're all going to have things that that upset us. And so the compromise can be really small, but it can make a world of difference for that yeah. for that person. I completely agree. I mean, other examples, you know, our original question here was about a doctor and and I would have that conversation. And, and, and again, this is part of partnership is what do you need to yes. feel comfortable and what do we need to address this perception? And it may be that this doctor needs to be partnered with a technician who has very strong animal handling skills yes. or a technician that he or she is comfortable with. So they trust the animal handling skills of that person yes. and can say, I feel safe because this person is doing the handling. That may be what we need to address that to address that perception of, um, you know, this person over restraints. And so I go, well, can we have someone else restrained for you that you trust? Mm -hmm. And then they can do it in the way that we like. And you can have a restrained patient to do what you need to do. Mm -hmm. And again, I I don't know. We have to talk to the person and kind of see see where their head is. But compromise is part of it. And I love that what you said. I think so many of we so many of us blow this up and we catastrophize and we go, oh. I can't have a doctor that's afraid of big dogs because 60% of our (laughs) patients are big dogs and they'll be ruined. And if I don't let them see those cases, then they're not going to make their bonus and then blah, blah, blah. They're going to leave and other doctors are going to not want to see big dogs either. And then I'm going to have 12 doctors that only see cats and dogs less than 25 pounds. And you know who's going to have to see all the patients? It's me. I'm going to see 75% of our caseload and I'm one person. I'm going to work all day and all night and my spouse is going to leave. Uh-huh. And my plants are going to die because I'm never home to water them. And no one's going to clean my house. And I'll never, ever, 
ever get to watch season two of Bridgerton because I won't have time ever. And then I'm going to die and not know what happened. Oh, God. This episode and is 100%. Look at, yeah, that's that's the mindset we have. Instead, this is probably not a big deal. Let's figure this out. Let's make some compromises. Let's make some tweaks. It's probably not going to be in the end of the world. If that's it. <laughs> Um, option two, of course, is training. If the person is not comfortable and they say, I'm just not comfortable with cats, then you could say, can we get you some training? Yeah. I would tell you that's the thing for me with horses. Like I said, I don't have a lot of experience with horses. And if someone said to me, hey, we want you to be able to do this and we're willing to train you and we're willing to put in time and we're yep. willing to mentor you and you're going to work with horses and you're going to work with them for three months, I would be like, you know what? I can do that. Like, I'm not terrified. I just don't have a lot of experience. And mm -hmm. it makes me uncomfortable to be alone sure. out there. Because you want to pair me up with an experienced equine vet that's that's, that's going to mentor me. Man, I'm a mentorship sponge. I love yeah. to be mentored. Sure. You know, I, I'll 100% take that. And that's, that's, that's training. The compromise was, how about this? How about you work this way and you take these emergency cases or you do these things or you're available at these times, but you don't go out to the farms and you don't do rural house goals. Great. That, that's a compromise that, that worked for me and worked for the practice. I think the last important thing for me, both about compromise and about, about support and getting them, getting them some, some answers and some training, because I think that that can absolutely be part of the solution package is that it's really important to recognize that um, <clears throat> we are, if there actually is fear or if there is, if they have had an experience like my experience, it is really important to recognize that you as the practice leader, you, even you as a lead veterinarian or the practice owner in your practice, you're you're not a professional therapist. You're yep. a professional animal person, but you are not um, prepared or equipped to deal with your team members' emotions, full stop. You should not put yourself in that role. And, mm -hmm. and so it's really important to think about how do you pair those things together? And there are lots of things when it comes to professional therapy and support um, in terms of overcoming fears. And so if there is a legitimate fear concern or if they have had an experience pairing some training, learning some low stress handling techniques. Um, you know, I'm a, I'm a huge fan of of Sophia Yin's techniques. Learning about fear free, yeah. uh, which the, which our mailbag writer doctor said that they they already had mm -hmm. had tackled. But partnering that with the offer of let's get you some support. Do we have yeah. an EAP? Do we have an employee employee assistance program where they can talk? talk to somebody, you know, you're not talking about I, you need to commit to therapy forever because this is going to be a lifelong issue for you. Sometimes it's about de like your example with with the horses. Sometimes it's about desensitizing ourselves. And it is important to address it from a work perspective. But it's also important to give them a safe space um, with actual professionals when it comes to um, when it comes to mental health support to work through that as well. And it doesn't have to be a permanent thing. But if you can offer them support there, that is a that is a role that you shouldn't put yourself in um, as as the leader. But it is something that is really important to pair with this if that if fear is genuinely a, a concern. Well, and if the person is open to it and if it, mm -hmm. and if it's, it's part of the it's part of the need. Right. Remember, mm -hmm. like, seek first yes. to understand what are we dealing with? I don't. I don't need therapy for my for my inexperience with horses, um, but a hundred percent those sorts of anxiety when you say I've I've I'm very concerned. I was bitten and I've been I'm very concerned right. about that and it's causing yes. me stress or I'm literally having yes. panic attacks here. Yes, um, yeah, yeah. absolutely. But all that comes down from doing your diagnostics on what yeah. exactly were you talking about here? 
Yeah, I think that that's probably about all I got. Um, the, you know, the last thing I want to circle back to, it, I think I said earlier, remember to be vulnerable uh, first, uh, find commonality. You know, I, I don't want to make this person feel like, I can't believe that you're doing this. Um, why would, you know, say, no, I get it. This is a stressful job. And and honestly, I, that's so dangerous, you know, <laughs> like dog bites are nothing to joke about and cat bites even worse. Um we we do a dangerous job and that we should be honest about that and not shame someone for being cautious you know mm-hmm. um mm-hmm. I, I think there's a lot of options here uh in sort of how to go forward the, let me touch on on worst case scenario because some people have that idea and say well that's great andy but what if you can't compromise and what if they refuse to get training or they take the training and it doesn't change their behavior mm-hmm. this is the last reason that we want to make sure we're speaking in specifics. Like, what exactly are we measuring here? It's not fear, because I can't measure your fear, but it is complaints about specific handling behaviors. It's complaints from the pet owners, things like that. Um, My take on this is we're going to have the conversation. We're going to do everything that we talked about. We're going to try to partner with this person. We're going to talk about changing the perception uh, that is out there and making sure that, that we are perceived as doing the doing right by the patients and taking the best care that we possibly can. And we're going to do all of those sorts of things. And we are going to continue to measure the problem behaviors. And if we continue to get, uh, you know, uh, negative feedback from the staff Mm -hmm. and things like that, ultimately what I would say is in my mind, I'm looking at this, I'm going to set a deadline on this and say we and it would a lot of it would depend on what the plan is if they're right. like i don't need a plan i don't need training i can 100 percent handle this it's not going to happen again um then i'm going to set a fairly short deadline of if after a month you got one month and if after a month i'm getting more complaints you and i are going to have another conversation and it's going to be much more direct and it's going to be much more about like again I don't know what's happening and I'm not going to argue with you about the quality of your handling. All I'm going to say is I continue to get complaints about your handling and we're not able to have those. And ultimately, I am going to pick my poison, which is what I do. And picking the poison, these are going to be allowing this person to continue to behave the way that they are and dealing with the fallout from that Mm -hmm. behavior, Mm -hmm. Um, emotional, uh, customer service, Mm -hmm. staff retention, moral on my part, because I'm probably having significant concerns about how, what exactly is happening and what is happening sure. to the patients here. And I have responsibility to keep them safe. So do I deal with the fallout of keeping this person or do I feel what the po- deal with the fallout of letting this person go? Because if we've tried everything to compromise and train and, and it's not going forward and we don't see any other fat path to change behavior, those are your two options. Mm-hmm. Deal with the fallout of keeping them, deal yep. with the fallout of letting them go. And yep. ultimately to me, that's not a question. That's yeah. a, that's a done deal. Yeah. Um, and I go, well, that's it. And I have to be okay with that. And so mm-hmm. I, I think for me, that's the emotional part for me is to say, I talked to this person. I did all the things right. I connected with them. I tried to understand. I offered them help. I, I tried to come up with whatever ways would would remedy the problem and, and support them. And I gave them time to do that and to go through the process. And I asked for patience from the staff. But ultimately, the staff trusts me. And they trust me to not allow these things to happen. They, I, I appreciate, generally, if you say to your people, hey, we're, we're working through things, we're doing training, we're doing whatever, we're, we're working on some new systems, they'll generally give you some grace. Mm-hmm. But at some point, they're going to say, we've given you grace, and this does not seem to be changing. Right. And, and at that point, you have to make the call. And then you shouldn't feel bad about it. You had the conversation, you took the steps, uh, it, it did not improve, and you decided that this was not the standard of care you were willing to offer at your practice, and so you did what you had to do. No, no must, no fuss, go on, feel well, good about it. And I will say, when I got to that, the point of having that conversation with my doctor, who, who 
was having some fear um, concerns with patient, we we tried all the things, we went through those steps. And when we had the conversation, they were the one to tell me, you know, I have recognized, uh, I, I, I hear what you're saying. And I've actually decided that I'm going to leave the practice because yep. I, I, need, I, I need to be in a position where I'm actually not dealing with this type of patient. Mm. And this, and I recognize that this hospital is not that. And so it was, I was coming to the table to make that decision, but they made it for me. And so I think a lot of times you'll be pleasantly surprised. I don't think you need to gear yourself up for like, yeah. I ha- you know, I have to let this person go, but I think you're right. You got to be ready to pick your poison. Yeah, sure. And and that's and I think that that's important to remember. I'm gonna I'm gonna end on that. A lot of times we think that we're making the hard decision, and if we let this person go, they're going to be devastated. Like, look, I'll tell you, if I went and worked in the equine practice and I was mentored for three to six months, and I'm still anxious and nervous, and my palms are sweating mm-hmm. at every appointment, I, I man, I don't want to be there either. Uh, you know what I mean? Like, you're not going to break my heart if you part yep. ways with me. Because, uh, yep. you know, we did it, we tried it, it didn't work. That's it. You know, oftentimes, this is the kindest thing. For, and honestly, would you want to be in a job where people keep saying, Stephanie's not handling patients well, and she's doing these things, and people are complaining to the manager about you? It's like, no, you should, you should go somewhere else, or you should do something else. Anyway, that's all I got, Steph. This was a good one. I hope everybody has a great week. Yeah. Take care of yourself, everybody. Well, everybody, that's a wrap on another episode of the podcast. Thanks so much for spending your time with us. We truly enjoy spending part of our week with you. As always, Andy and I enjoyed getting into this topic. Um, I have a tiny little favorite ask, actually two of them. One is if you can go to wherever you source your podcasts from and hit the review button and leave us a review. We love hearing your feedback and knowing what you think of the podcast. And number two, if you haven't already, hit the subscribe button. Thanks so much for listening, guys. We'll see you soon. 